If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Our guest today is going to give us some insights and tips about travelling horses, particularly over long distances. Barbara Palolino is an equine vet. She's completed a PhD study about behavioural, clinical and respiratory responses to eight-hour transportation in horses. Now, don't worry, she's not going to get too high-tech and too clinical. I have asked her to deliver the message in a layman or a practitioner point of view, but she's going to talk about the preparation of the horses before the trip, during the trip and after a trip to make keep our horses happy and healthy, which after all is what we're all about. How are you today, Barbara? I'm fine, thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, great to have you too. Barbara, we normally start off with a favourite quote. Have you got one for us today? Yes, I have. And the quote is, in riding a horse, we borrow freedom. Ah, yes, yes. Now, is that a Winston Churchill? Yeah, yeah, it is. They're very good, very good. And if you're wondering about Barbara's accent, she's actually on a call today from Italy. Yeah, I'm from Italian originally. <laughs> okay. All right. Barbara, how did you actually start with horses? What are your first memories? I started riding when I was 12. And um, my mum always said that horses for me is uh, a genetic disease because when I turned 12, yeah. I just, you know, I born like without horses and, and so on. And when I turned 12, I begged my father to buy me a horse. And I asked to my father because my grandfather used to be horse breeder mm-hmm. and my dad sold all the horses when I was born. So I don't know, maybe genetics and stuff like that. <laughs> so when I turned 12, I asked my dad to buy me a horse. He clearly bought me a horse and we started riding together. And then I had a bad fall mm-hmm. from a horse and my mom sent me to a riding school. Okay. To a riding school to get your lessons and to learn how to ride yes. properly, is that right? Yeah, yeah, good. yeah. which is, I think it's really, really, really important. Mm. And yeah, yeah, and I would say that, yeah, since I was 13, I'm studying how to, you know, approach a horse, how to train a horse. Mm-hmm. And as you know, we never finish to learn. Oh, absolutely. And they're beautiful animals, but they're big and they're powerful. And I think, you know, if everyone can go to a riding school and get those lessons with an experienced person first, that's absolutely ideal. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Safety first. Yes, yes, definitely. Now, what about your career? Because you're an equine vet now. Now, as a 12 and 13-year-old, did you plan to be an equine vet? Or when did you come across, when did you start to think about that as a career? When I was probably 15, 16, I had a horse which was suffering from colic. Mm-hmm. And they have such an eyes when they are in pain. And in that moment, I felt so bad because I could not do anything for my horse. And so I decided to become a vet and then also, like, you know, really to study to safeguard 
horse welfare. And this is why, like, you know, also my topic in research are good mm-hmm. health and good welfare. Yep, yep. Now, what do you think if someone was talking to you, if they wanted to become an equine vet, what would you recommend for them before they start? What core skills or character traits would they need to have? They must be hard worker <laughs> and they should like studying because to get into a vet school, you need anyway good mark from sure. the school. So I'll say they should start planning their career already when they are at school, at mm-hmm. the high school and maybe, you know, just um, be good at chemistry, biology, maths, which anyway are the first subject in vet. And it's really important to have good mark in these subjects so that, you know, you can get a place in a good vet school. Mm -hmm. And then while they are students, they just try to study and take the best from their lecture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's the best thing now as an equine vet about working with horses? Look, I really enjoy the relationship with horses and uh, the, as a vet, I'm a more expert in sport and internal medicine. So, you know, for me, when I have a poor performance horses and, you know, it's my case and then I I make a correct diagnosis, a correct therapy. And often I, you know, I start from the base, a change feeding, training, and like, you know, all these things. And then the horse win again. That's is priceless for me. Yeah, good, good. All right. Now, people who've helped you along the way, has there been anyone in particular, like you talked about your father, who was supportive of you getting a horse? Anyone else that you think stands out in helping you with your career? I would say the um, first vet was, you know, my supervisor. Mm-hmm. He was because he passed away very young, but he was a really horse person. He mm-hmm. also grew up on the racetrack from a family of um, doggies. Yep. And um, we we met at the racetrack and when I was still studying that. And yeah, and, you know, he, he told me just this simple quote. He told me when I graduated, mm-hmm. oh, Barbara, you have lots of skills, but don't do anything if you are not sure about. So if you need anything, just don't try anything mm-hmm. on a horse. Just call me. Okay. And this is how my career started. Good. And I think it's really important also for all the young vets. You know, it's, be a vet can be challenging. Mm. So, you know, and if a vet is not sure, it's normal. Mm. <laughs> but the best things to is probably report the case and ask a more yeah. experienced. And the other thing is too that I think, and it's the same thing with coaches, you know, once you're qualified, it doesn't mean you're an expert. It just means that's when you start your journey. And it'd be the same with vets, you know, once you're qualified, that's when you start your journey. Yeah, and as I, you know, as I said before, we never start learning and there mm. would be always a horse which I said, particular pathology which you have never seen and the same for a coach might be just have a horse which a particular temperament or particular history particular experience so maybe that horse is just more be challenged yes. to handle or to ride yeah yeah okay Barbara what do you think been your proudest moment with horses and as an equine vet as an equine vet I think I saved 
lots of horses uh, and um, as I told you, you know, like, you know, had like difficult case yes. of, of really good performance horses and then when they won again. Mm-hmm. But uh, at this point of my life, uh, I'm quite proud of my PhD. Yes, yes. And I so thought you'd say that actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you put a lot of work an, into it. No, it's, it's taken yeah, a long time. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, my PhD is um, clearly is a great piece of academia, mm, <laughs> but mm. Uh, we try to be really practical. And um, as you told before, I've studied the implication of transportation on um, horse health and welfare. So um, I try to identify risk factor in all the transport-related disease, uh, travel sickness, colic, um, heat stress. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was and, quite challenging. Yep, yep. And we'll talk about that in a minute because I think, you know, you should be proud of it, but also, too, it's the ongoing help that you're giving. It's not just, you know, it's sort of like you become a vet and then it takes a long time to become a better vet, but it's the same thing with your PhD. Like, it's great doing the PhD, but then all the horses that you're going to save to just even save them from the sickness and keeping them happier and healthier I think that's a really important accomplishment as well yeah yeah exactly I always used to say that as a vet you know mm. I could save probably only one horse per day yes instead now that I'm in research I really hope to save much more horses in a day you know mm. what I mean like mm. you know mm. I hope to spread the results of my research so that more people do the right thing so that, like, you know, we can prevent lots of disease. Yes, and yes. And much more horses will be happy. Well, look, we can talk about it now. So, first of all, what sort of sickness can horses get? You know, we hear about travel sickness, but can you give us just a brief description of what can happen to a horse if they travel for over long distances and they're not looked after correctly? Yeah. One of the most famous is travel sickness, uh, which in Australia is named travel sickness, in America, shipping fever. Uh, the correct name is transport pneumonia. So it's basically is an infection of the lung. Mm-hmm. And so it's challenging because it starts with really strange symptoms. Often, you know, there is no running nose, no coughing, but you have just a bit of fever and can be also fatal. So, like, you know, if you don't, make a, a correct diagnosis soon, the horse can also die. Mm-hmm. And this is the same from a particular colic, which is, a, a, the name is enterocolitis. It's, it's basically diarrhea, profuse diarrhea, always with fever. And these two diseases may kill a horse also in 48 hours. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say these are the worst, but then like, you know, you can also have you know, less tragic, mm, like. Mm. So just, uh, I don't know, just a bit of running nose or just any kind of inflammation of the eyeways or colic, constipation colic, or, you know, just a diarrhea for one or two days yep, yep. without a proper infection. Or also common can be injuries. Mm-hmm. Lots of horses got injured during transport uh, and um, and then we can also have uh, each stroke so thermal stress you know okay yep it's too hot yep. yep yep all right so what should we do then in the preparation in the weeks leading up to the traveling what can we do to help minimize this 
Yeah, so basically all these diseases are related to stress. So the horse get too much stressed during the journey. Mm. And so, you know, all this stress affects his immune system and often like, you know, also subclinical disease become clinical. So the first point is trying to get the horse used to transport. Mm -hmm. So now my first tip is training. And I know it sounds strange because we spoke about disease and <laughs> but anyway, the, <laughs> well, you're still talking about stress though. So, um, yeah. 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 So the first thing is really training your horse to load and to transport. So mm-hmm. probably have already heard about um, Dr. Catherine Haupt. Uh, she started studying transport and transport uh, stress mm-hmm. in 1980 and she has developed and she has spread this training, habituation training. So, you know, it's really important that when we have a horse and even better if we have a fall, just leading the mare into the trailer up and down or leave the trailer in a paddock and feed the horses inside. So like make for the horse going into the trailer or into a truck as natural as going into a paddock on a box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, because, you know, the problem is horses have this uh, genetic fear of loading into a vehicle. Yes. Which vehicle is. Yes. Yes. But the second important step in habituation training is that then you should try to simulate short journey. You know, like longer before you really move your horses for a long journey, you should just uh, spend a bit more time. So you load your horse and you go just for a short journey and then you unload. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the horse really need to get habit to all the stressors which are uh, related to transport. So noise, vibration, orientation. And this is really habituation training. Mm -hmm. And I've done some research and actually habituation training is the only training methods which really reduce all uh, uh, transport-related uh, injuries and disease. Okay. So the risk. Okay. Yeah. So right. definitely also like, you know, self-loading, all these other training sure. Are, sure. are important. But we need, because one of the biggest, if you like, mistake is that we just think that the only challenge is the loading. Mm. Or, you know, the majority of the training focus only on loading. But I say it's not only loading, but also the traveling part. So okay. you need to be better yep. in training your horses in how to travel. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then second is the, now we go back to disease, fitness yeah. for transport. Okay, so, yes, yes. It's really, I would suggest there is a simple guideline that you might also spread. This is called Fitness for Transport of Equide. And it's like a simple booklet with lots of pictures and explain how the owner, the trainer, the coach should assess the fitness for transport. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just to make sure your horse is fit and healthy. So that it should be okay. Yeah. You can cope better. Yes, yes. Okay. And then moving on then to just before the trip, what else? I mean, these, this would be done in the weeks leading up to it, you know, to, yeah, to teach yeah. the horse to load, to travel, to do that habituation training, to get them fit for transport. But what about, you know, the morning before, the day before? What sort of preparation do we need there? 
Yes, it's really important to give plenty of water and hay before the transport. Mm -hmm. So never withdraw water, never withdraw food. So, but just leave your horses water and hay freely yep. before the transport. Because transport will induce the hydration. So, you know, it's really important that the horse has a lot of hay in his gut because hay means also electrolyte and uh, water. Yeah. Okay. So really simple. Mm, <laughs> you know, there is no yeah. nothing special if you like, but you know, just do right thing, and okay. uh, that will be you know simple preparation for transport. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. What's your view on the horse's availability for hay during the trip? Should they have it? Should they not have it? Because there's lots of, lots of ideas about why they should have hay and lots of ideas why they shouldn't have hay. I know this is still a question, and um, this is my next research. Like oh, good. Comparing. <laughs> so I should ask you back after you've done your next PhD or your next research, and you can talk to us. Yeah, about that. yes. So yeah. far, I can tell you or explain you why uh, it's a matter of debate. So mm -hmm. um, we have done a research with uh, Professor Sharon Radial, and we tested fasting, so mm -hmm. 12 hours in a fasting condition, no food at all, and this is no good. So it no. can lead to stomach ulceration. Mm. So mm. I can tell you, like, for a long journey, like something like 12 hours fasting is definitely wrong. Yes. <laughs> yes. We have not done the part where we compare the, the effect of food and how much food and the positioning of food. Mm -hmm. So the, the big issues so far is that other research have proven that if you put hay on the nostril level, so like just, you know, the typical hay bag just yep. in front of the head of the horse, this practice may lead more to travel sickness mm -hmm. or um, like... Um, Is that because they're not horse. getting the head down low? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. And also because in the hay can be dust. Yes. And then if it's at the nostril level, all the dust will go straight in the lungs. Mm -hmm. So we actually, with this practice, we increase the risk of infection in the lung. So we actually would like to test always hay, but dampened hay, mm. so that, like, you know, we reduce the quantity of dust in the trailer, which other research have proven also as a risk factor, and then put this hay really low, like mm. at least at the knee level. Yep. So in, in this way like the horses will be motivated to load the head. But yes. as I said, uh, as a scientist, I cannot tell you this is the truth because mm -hmm. I need to do my experiment first. <laughs> All right. Now, how many horses will you use in the study? Um, we have um, a project. There will be 12 horses in a, we, we call a time square. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we test the first 12, then we shout, and then we do the other 12. So okay. then they become basically 24 Yep. In both situations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what about during the trip then? Because we talked a little bit about the feed. What else can they do during the trip? So, as you mentioned before, it's really, really important that the horse is free to put his head down. When a horse is really nervous and stressed, 
he will elevate his head. Mm. So it's really important that we try to, as I said before, make the journey less stressful as we can. So like this means, you know, good vehicle and like, you know, less vibration as possible, good road, and also, you know, try not to travel when it's really 40 degrees outside. So, you know, yes. <laughs> plan your journey like a good vehicle check your vehicle and make sure like you, you choose the better road not minor road up and down the hill turning you know just try to go on a good road and then like you know keep the horse even free like if it's possible don't tie your horse never cross tied but you know if you have to tie then make sure that he is able to lower his head at least at the knee level and um, the other recommendation which I have is uh, also to monitor the horse. So, like, you know, buy a little camera and check your horse. Because, you know, if everyone can understand if the horse is really in a stressful situation, you know what I mean? It will yeah. be really <laughs> tossing his head and pawing and tail wishing. So, you know, just have a look. And then if the horse is, is really in this bad situation maybe you know stop find a, the right place mm. i'm not saying unload your horse in the middle of the road you know find the right spot and mm. maybe give him a bit of a rest okay and when they have that rest a good idea to graze and get the head down yes yeah, yeah. definitely okay. water yes give water like you know we should aim to give uh, water at least every four hours and then if we can give water and you know again a bit of uh, hay or like grass in Australia this is not a big issue to find grass in mm. Europe anymore you know just yeah even like in a half an hour yep. you know, just put yep. the head down relax a bit and you know pee <laughs> because okay. lots of horses cannot really pee in the trailer okay and then they can have problems yep all right. Now, after the trip, so as soon as the horse unloads, is everything all over or is there special care that we've got to have after the trip? Again, uh, I would suggest, in particular, if the journey is longer than eight hours, uh, give uh, 24-hour rest on a pasture. In Australia, that would be the best that you can. But uh, also monitor the health of your horse. So, like, you know, simple stuff like, you know, just take the temperature might save the life of your horse. You know, because as I said, all these uh, really bad disease, they always start with fever. So, you know, just uh, check if the horse is eating, is drinking and take its temperature. Okay. I would say at least twice a day after a long journey. And then give him a bit of rest. Grazing would be the best because he will put the head down <laughs> by yeah. himself. Otherwise, just give him a bit of hay on the floor level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And make sure he's eating. <laughs> All right, good, good. Now you mentioned a booklet before. What was the booklet again? Uh, um, the name is um, has been published from many associations like Horse Angel, um, World Horse Welfare, and the European Community. The title is Practical Guideline mm -hmm. to Assess Fitness for Transport of Equide. We might um, get the link for that, I think, and put it on your page, which will be horsechats.com slash Barbara Padalino, or just to search Horse Chats for Barbara 
I think that that's probably going to be the best the best way to get that. And what about if you've got another book that you'd recommend for our for our listeners as well that could complement their knowledge about horses or about travelling horses? Yeah, I'm writing a book with Good. Professor Chris Relay, and we hope to launch the book in September to, at next year. ISIS. Oh, perfect, perfect. Okay, and we'll put the link. Um, we might even talk to you again around about then or before or after ISIS just to get some more details about that book, if that's okay, Barbara. That would be really good. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking actually at the practical day, uh, really, you know, have myself explain how to assess the fit and for transport. Yep. Like, you know, 13 minutes at the practical day. We are are still organising, but... Okay. Okay. Now, I was going to ask you what you're looking forward to, but I think you're um, you're certainly looking forward to that conference. Now, just tell us the dates for that again. It will be from the 21st to the 24th of September Mm -hmm. in Rome. Okay. 2018, clearly. All right. And I can put the links for that on the same page, horsechats.com slash Barbara Padalino. And also, too, I think Angelo Teleton's um, got those details on his page as well. Yeah, yeah, we are trying to um, open and will be soon, like probably in a couple of days, already like on the website okay, with okay. all the information. There's a draft of the program, all the keynote speaker, mm-hmm. and we are trying to make something interesting, scientific, but also really practical. Yeah, yeah. And I think when, for well, when, you, when you're coming in with the scientific background, you're sort of, you know, you're not talking your opinion. You're talking about, you know, proven scientific methods to make the horse's life better. So I think, you know, everyone's got to be able to support that. Okay. Now, Barbara, just in a few sentences, would you be able to summarise your philosophy with horses? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think... You need to be passionate about horses, you need to love horses, and you need to understand horses. I really think that be a good rider, a good trainer, a good vet, a good driver, we need to communicate with horses properly. And this is why we need to learn horse behavior, we need to understand horse body language and we need to learn how to approach horses properly and if we are able to communicate with horses then we can be good horse rider horse trainer horse vet whatever you like i think that's a big one isn't it communicating with horses better that's an ongoing ongoing skill that i think um yeah it's just a never-ending one at this stage yeah, yeah, I think, you know, just to make a laugh, you know, as an equine vet, like, you know, I started with a passion for horse behavior and I'm mm-hmm. a bit strange, you know, as a vet, <laughs> having all this background in our yeah. behavior. But, you know, when there were difficult cases, you know, and I mean, you know, I, I used to go as a reference vet and then I, I used just to watch the horse. Mm. And then I could say already what he was suffering from. Yep. And all the other were looking at me. I said, what? <laughs> How do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Did the horse tell you? Yes. And I said, yeah, in a way. Yeah, he <laughs> <it> told me. <laughs> because yeah. I just, and yeah, you know, and often too many horses for really, you know, if you like, you forget really to watch the horses and learn from his behavior and, 
and then like you know an x-ray can tell you a lot but the horses probably can tell you something more yep all right now barbara can people contact you through isis or would you prefer them to contact you through your phone or email Whatever they like, you can give all my details, my mail, my phone, my Skype. Okay. Uh, like my mission now is really spread the voice. Yes. I'm a horse lover. I'm a horse owner. So I'm one of uh, you. <laughs> and whoever is passionate like me is my friend. <laughs> okay. All right. Been very good talking to you today. I think that um, you've provided a lot of information and education about traveling for people to then take that on and hopefully they'll go ahead and use that and uh, the horse will have a better trip next time you know we do tend to travel long distance but even short distances there was a lot of information there for people traveling horses short distance and um, hopefully we'll catch up with you again sometime soon Barbara when you release your book we can talk about what's in the book and um, go over that as well so thank you thank you if you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.